0: Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Sarah Walcott, and the conversation we're going to have today is a little bit different from the more technical and sometimes policy-oriented conversations we've had around regeneration and, and regenerative practices, because we're going to go deep. Um, Sarah is a healer, she's a minister, and she's an artist, and she runs an eco-theology company that offers online courses and in-person learning journeys and um, will help you put together a ritual. Sarah, um, I'm not really sure where we want to grab a hold of this because it's uh, beautifully complex and and uh, you know, fresh and really, really old at the same time in terms of uh, human tradition. But let's jump in and explore.
1: Mm. Yes, thank you, Eric. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. Um, The phrase you just used, um, very new and ancient and very relevant is absolutely true. That is exactly what we're working with. I think that when we're working with regeneration, we're working with a force, um, a spirit, a way of being that is very old and very new and a significant part of our task is to continuously re-anchor ourselves in a reality that we know is possible, but is not the reality that we seem to be living in.
0: I think that's really a, a significant as well as important because we talk frequently. I, th- I think those of us who are kind of keeping an eye on what's going on and, and hoping to impact it in a take it in a better direction in a healthier, more natural, uh, regenerative direction. Fairly often, we look at or discuss the kind of underpinnings of attitude. And how, if we had a different attitude towards our relationship, w- w- both within community, within ourselves and, and to this beautiful living planet that we're trying to um, trying to protect and, and revive, that we wouldn't be conducting kind of business as usual the way it has taken us?
2: Mm. Okay. Mm
0: so um, I, I'm aware that some of our terminology may kind of sound woolly to some people <laughs> um, but I want to uh, assure listeners that uh, you know if, if they list, if, if they participate in this conversation we're embarking on uh, you know with an open mind and heart that um, I think they'll end up feeling quite a bit of resonance hmm so when we've we've spoken um, you know disclaimer you and i 've had uh, i think three uh, three conversations leading up to this this uh, interview and it touched on quite a few different points around uh, sort of the meeting point of belief systems and spirituality and regenerative practice, um, the kind of task that 's before us as humanity um, i'm very interested in finding a way to sort of Condense this to a certain point where it's understandable you know we, we've only got so long in the in the conversation to 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 go into this um, maybe if we did it through the lens of the actual the the services um, that you're providing people through through your company, that would be an interesting way to get that and we, you know, we could break out of that obviously but might be a way to sort of condense that in, in, a, in a way that people can kind of pick it up and work with it.
2: Mm.
1: So I'm
0: curious how you got there. I'm, I'm curious how, and I can hear you've got a turkey in the background.
1: Yeah, I have a turkey in the background. <laughs> yeah, <that. laughs> you know, I was, I'm actually, so just so that you like locate us in, in space here, I'm actually physically right now in Texas, um, and I normally live in New York City, um, the traditional land of uh, the Lenape people, and I was born in California, the traditional land of the Ohlone people. And um, I'm in Texas, <laughs> I'm in Austin, Texas, I'm staying at, at a, an Airbnb that has a turkey in the backyard, which is why there's a occasional turkey noises. Um, and I'm, I was here for, it was called, it was called Keep Families Giving Conference, um, and I was, is a, it was wealthier, it's a bunch of wealthier, I, they call them high net worth families. And um, I had, I was, I'm friends with the conference organizer, and I had asked her, she wanted me to come and speak, and she just wanted me to speak. She didn't actually have a particular thing she wanted me to speak on, which I get that fairly often, actually. Um, and and I said, well, we could talk about you know, women and wealth and legacy and our connection to land and women's wisdom. And she's like, oh, that sounds great. And I, then I said, well, do you have any connection with indigenous peoples? Have you ever worked with indigenous peoples? And this is like, you know, this is Texas. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's like, no, but I, I, I think it's super important and, and I really want to. And I said, Okay, well, let me see what I can do if I can, I can see that I can connect you with some indigenous people, but I, I want you to, I want your assurance that that's going to be a long term, you're willing to embark into a relationship, not just sort of helping, helping someone, not just sort of having come someone come and speak for a one off talk or something. Right. And she said, Yes, absolutely. It's about the relationship. And um, so I and I and I reached into my network and took a little bit because I'm not from I'm like Texas isn't part of my my world a lot of the time and I brought these wonderful wonderful women in Yolanda Bluehorse um, she's up she's actually she's actually Lakota but she lives in Houston and a friend of mine Marianne Thompson Frank um, and her both of them brought their husbands with them. And and we sort of just had this extraordinary conversation. And, and we talked about uh, what is philanthropy? What does it mean to be giving? Philanthropy, of course, means humanity. And um, the love of humanity. And I told a story um, about how when my ancestors first came to America from England, this was back in like 1630 or so, they... They didn't know you know they came with the bible and they came with uh, ideas about poverty and wealth and they came with ideas about the promised land which they got from the bible and and they had ideas about cultural superiority and who they were and all the great things that they were going to find when they got here and they got here and that first winter they, they weren't the, they weren't on the mayflower there were a couple of ships later the first winter Um, They would have died had it not been for the indigenous people in Connecticut, who subsequently, um, most of that particular tribe died from smallpox within about 10 years of helping, saving my ancestors' skin. Um, And I wouldn't be here today without them. And I said to her, I said to Yolanda, I said, you know, they were very philanthropic. They acted out of a love of humanity. And they didn't ask, what's the return on investment? They didn't ask, should we help these people? Maybe, maybe they did say, should we help these people? Maybe, I don't know, they, they might've said that, but they, the answer for them was yes. And neither myself nor this country would be here without them. And I, I sort of, she said, when we give, we just give. We just give
2: from the depths of ourselves. Even if you don't have anything, you give.
1: And like every story she's told me about her life has, you know, she is someone who's often not had anything and she's given. And I said to her at one point, I asked, what is it that, what is it that is really happening that we can, it feels like that's a way of being. How do you keep giving? You must trust that you're gonna receive. If you're gonna keep giving, and giving and giving and giving, you have to, on some like foundational level, trust that you can receive. And and, and she she says, you know, I don't know that really works that way for us. Like maybe it's not about the receiving, like maybe through giving we receive is actually through the act of giving that we receive, not that we receive first and then give, but through the act of giving, like that is what enables us to participate in life. And it was it was this profound and beautiful conversation that we had, probably there was, I don't know, several millions of a billion dollars of worth of money in the room, it was all women, it was a fully, this was a women's only session. And to have this woman, have these two women sitting with me on the stage talking about a way of of giving and being philanthropic that totally throws, it totally is so counterintuitive to most of how we think about how the world works today. And most of the way we think about how reality is. And yet, it, it, you know, as she says, like, we are still here. Our people are still here. There is still a life force that is still here, despite all the attempts to block it out and to destroy it. There's still a life force that is still here. And I just said, you know, let's just pause. And so I paused the conversation that she and I were having on the stage and that our friend Marianne was having.
2: And I just sort of had all of us just breathe with that moment. And subsequently, I had a lot of people come up to me and they thanked me for
1: bringing these women and for introducing them to Indigenous people. And and for, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not someone, I will never say, oh, let's go listen to Indigenous women with Indigenous wisdom, especially without also saying that We need to look at the hardcore like economic political social realities and we need to look very seriously at what is colonization how we need to decolonize because there's a tendency to um put indigenous people on pedestals which is ridiculous but she said to me this all these women came came up to me afterwards and they said thank you so much for that and thank you for inviting us to pause and thank you for for helping us listen. One woman, young girl, she was like 20, 20 something, early 20s, she said, I feel like when I listen to you facilitate that conversation, I became a better listener. And I, I asked her about that, like what does that mean to become a better listener?
2: And she said, I thought I was listening to my heart. She put her hand on her chest. And the listening heart, in the Old
1: Testament, that's um, one of the translations of wisdom is the listening heart. And the listening heart could hear more clearly her own truth that lies within herself, as well
2: as the truth that lies within others. And it's that quality of listening that I think is so critical
1: anything else we want to do. And it's listening to ourselves, it's listening to others, it's listening to the social, economic, political realities without getting caught up in them. Um, and that, that listening to that truth within ourselves, that we can hear the truth is within someone else. That to me is the heart of spirituality and the heart of the spiritual work that is we need to do. It's, at least it's a very key component. I don't, it's not, I don't know that I call it the heart, but it's a really, really key component. And it, there's a deep
2: trust. There's a deep trust that we can abide in. That's absolutely beautiful.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> I thought, I thought, <laughs> I'm like I just went on a long story there. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I mean, I felt like I was in the room with all of you. It was absolutely beautiful. It it, it caused me to think a, a, a few things as as you were um, telling the story. One of them is about culture and differences mm-hmm. differences in culture, and uh, you know, I've I've also done quite a, quite a few years of work um, supporting indigenous. Uh, causes in, in the past and and um, it changed my life um, I think having a, a deep and long-term relationship with another culture can do that for you um, and
1: especially with a non-western culture yes exactly
0: exactly <laughs> I mean I would care one of the one of the ways I would characterize what I learned from that was new levels of respect um, and it just one of the something that that just really jumped out as you started the whole conversation was the distinction between kind of the way we in the West think about giving and the way this other culture does or this these other cultures um, in that we have this kind of like subliminal thing going on all the time that it's conditional, right? And mm-hmm. even even in the way you kind of checked with them about like, well, there's a circle of reciprocity there. And so what, you know, when does it come back? And her response being, no, that's kind of not what this is about.
1: Um, well, it's also like the, I don't, I don't remember the sh- she who said this, but someone was saying, I heard someone else say at one point, like that the the ultimate in the, I'm, I'm going to jump cultures here, which is a little bit unfair. Um, but in the Sufi tradition, like the ultimate, um, as, as I've been explained, as it has been explained to me, the ultimate debt is to God, right? And every other debt, whatever other debt you have is like not, not as important as the debt you have to God. It's like, you got to be here. Like, your life, the fact that you get to, you are, the fact that you get to be here is a gift. And, and your ultimate obligation is to give that, to keep giving that gift, to keep giving that gift of life and to kind of keep being, returning praise and honor and, um, to, to the creator. And, like, this, the gift of life is profound right and it's so easy in our world today which you know where people get locked children get locked in cages on the border regardless of whether or not they're immigrants or citizens sometimes it's, I've heard some horrible stories here in Texas just terrify me um and where we are in terms of um the you know like people just life being in some human life and non-human life being so expendable in so many ways it's easy to forget what a gift life is and we have to kind of keep returning to that yeah uh, and we have like like it is so easy and i say this as someone who you know sometimes i make money and sometimes i don't right like i go in and out it's so easy to mark our value by something other than who than our true value, our true nature, which is you know who we are and where we come from and where we're going and the depth of who we are and the and the the extent to which we are spiritual beings on a physical journey. And they are task like to to engage in this process of regeneration. It is a deep I see it as a is like trying all these different groups is trying to. Come to a um, to reclaim and become a part of again the sort of life force that enables life to continue. And you know, there's a cycle of that. Obviously, death is a part of that. Destruction is a part of that. Um, You you know, you cannot have creation without destruction. Like it's 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 a cycle. It's not uh, a linear progress model. Um, And I mean, I have, I'm a theologian. I'm trained in seminary. I, I, I kind of, I think of religions as languages. Um, so I speak with various levels of fluency, different religious spiritual languages, um, which is, I can work with Christianity and Judaism and
2: um, different, I,
1: I have a little bit of capacity with different indigenous traditions. I have pretty decent with Hinduism and Buddhism and I can help translation um, and then I do healing work, which is very embodied because I, I also have been a massage therapist and energy worker and all that good stuff. So it's like I see this as a very, soma- um, spiritually, as a very somatic process. As a very, we call we talk about the imminence, like God is imminent, the spirit is imminent versus transcendent,
0: right? So, imminent, um, imminent for those who don't have that vocabulary,
1: yeah. so... Imagine um, this classically, theologically, it's like two to three different ways of thinking about where is the divine physically located. And one way of imagining it is that the God sort of hovers over the world. And in the Christian, Judeo-Christian tradition, that's often referred to as, you know, Genesis, God hovering, the face of God hovering over the deep, hovering over the waters before God forms um, light and dark. And, and so there's this transcendent figure that's sort of hovering and sees everything and knows everything, but is not actually the water. And then there's another notion of, of the divine. <clears throat> and you can also see this in the Judeo-Christian text in which God is, is within. So when you talk, particularly in Christianity, you see God is like the, um, Jesus is like a seed of light that is within all beings. Um, and uh, so the seed of God is within you. Uh, so that notion, which is key to Quakerism, is key to many different Christian traditions, um, that within each person, there is a seed of the divine. And so the God is, with, is, is inside of you. Uh, God is part of yourselves and every, every part of you is sacred and every, every tree, every animal. And then you can extend that. The different traditions will have different opinions about this. To what extent is God, like within a human body, is within an animal, within a plant, within all living beings, or is, it all, is God also inside of mountains and inanimate objects and stones? Like people have different opinions about that. There's different theological approaches to that. Um, and So it's transcendent or imminent, above or within. And then there's some people who will say it's both god is both or the divine the sacred is both transcends and is within there's both some part of god that is not in this world that is not in the material world and is it above beyond the material world and then there is a part of the divine which is within all beings so those are your sort of classic ways of thinking about how you're going to relate to spirit i tend to be the latter i tend to be the god is both um, and I, I experience the divine within the body and within and between bodies as like, I often think of it as like, um, like if you could imagine a very a starry night and the stars in the sky reflecting on a pure lake and the depths in the, and it's dark. And so the lake is still and you see in the dark, the, the, the stars are reflected in the lake below. And imagine that each of those stars, both above and below is, is a being. And that there's a, this, con- this con- constellation that connects all of those beings together. So, um, and so that's often how I experience reality. I experience that we are all these stars and there is a web that connects us. And so then my work is to, is to work
2: with that web
0: And how do you bring that to the consciousness driving regenerative activity? Or how might we do so?
1: So can you, um, can we, to explore that question, can you give me like, a, like an example of something you might be thinking of where that, where that might be? For, I don't usually just say that, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, What I I can do is I can, because I'm kind of working somewhere between intuition and and conversation myself here. Um, What I can do is say what came to my mind as you you were describing that, which is that that ability to connect is also really uh, very important in our ability to ask deep questions and Mm. and to pay profound attention and that anyone seeking to um to heal because regeneration i think in its essence is a healing activity um, mm-hmm. we can talk about quantifying it, we can talk about qualities and that sort of thing but i think for at least for me fundamentally it's about healing something that is that is out of balance or broken and sort of bringing wholeness back to that mm-hmm. um, and you know we we do that within our communities, and we do that um, within our natural communities that we're and and we remember that we're part of that. And you know I hope more and more people also remember that being part of it is a participatory rather than a manipulative role. Mm. Right. And so for me, that all implies that ability to go deep to have uh, profound silence because you can't listen if you're busy talking, right? You can't listen Mm -hmm. if you're busy filling the space with your own sound and thoughts. Um, And the concept of being between the stars above and below for me really brought up that image of of deep listening. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a stillness in that image isn't there? There's a yeah, yeah. There's a sense of just sort of quiet and awe, a sort of and humility. Oh. That that true meaning of hum- like right, yeah. like humility I think like the stronger I become, the more humble I become, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the more I understand and exercise my own power and agency in the world, the more I become, the more I like become conscious of like whoa. Like there's something so much bigger than I am that I'm working with and I become very humble. Um, in, I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of this force that flows through my hands when I touch someone, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because it's not really mine.
0: Well, so that, now, now we've slipped right back to my initial question and it's, <laughs> and it's lovely um, because I also do have, have, you know, for different times in my life uh, practice as a massage therapist and, oh, cool. and also, <laughs> and also in, the, in the space of Reiki. Uh, uh, energy balancing work and that was the frame of reference that came up when um your friend who was speaking to the conference was talking about well you know from her culture it's the giving that matters yeah and i i immediately to
1: do that's what she said like this is what you do it's just like this is so i actually thought of like giving as a way of being right
0: well, well so so what i what i yeah. what, came, what came to my mind as you were saying that was the experience of of, of doing reiki yeah And also the experience of being in a loving relationship Mm. where, I mean, you know, a clean loving relationship, not a conditional one um, where it's like being the channel for something larger that comes through. Mm -hmm. And as the channel, you receive the direct energy as well. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was feeling like maybe that's the experience of giving in that, in that way.
1: Um, Yeah, so sorry, two things come up when you say that. One is, it's it's actually kind of funny because I, I, more and more, I I find myself talking about the healing work that I do. Um, And in so many ways, like I I do a lot of decolonization work, I approach the eco-spirituality from a decolonial perspective, which is frankly kind of unusual. Um, people tend to so the thing you're talking about that that sort of that all consuming love right that kind of reiki feeling mm-hmm. and like you are working on someone and you just feel like from the top of the north star all the way down into your body through your hands this white light flowing right and then it's like going into that other human being and it's like impacting their cells and it's like going at a level that you can't even understand like that force is so powerful and some some you know I, i've worked with a lot of different reiki practitioners who have come to me for for their for their healing and they'll describe to me that like sometimes um, and I, I also have reiki training um, that they sometimes people's ears tingle sometimes they're they, their hands get hot. Sometimes they have funny sensations up and down their body. And mm. sometimes they don't feel anything at all. Like there's some folks who just, they just they, just, they know it works mm. and they feel nothing. They just like, eh, they're just standing there. Nothing's happening. Um, so from the practitioner perspective, like you can have all sorts of different sensations and you can kind of go into a bliss state. And sometimes, and that can be true with all sorts of different healing modalities. You can kind of enter the state of just, ananda like that's like wow everything is just really beautiful and it's like and i can get to that state when i'm leading workshops or when i'm doing healing work or i'm teaching it's like i can get to that state pretty easily actually and it's like it doesn't kind of matter what happens because everything's good everything's good all the time and and so that that's one and that is such that is so important to like anchor ourselves in that and to be in that i think as much as possible And then we have to also kind of be on the, like, actually, it's not good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, we can't forget all the things we're trying to fix.
1: You can't, you can't, you can't like just staying in that like high space is so, so critical. And it's just, I think coming back there and finding ways to dwell there and finding ways to anchor there and, and finding ways to really stay there, but to stay there, ideally to stay there while we're doing all the other types of work or however you describe it some people it's activism some people it's sort of um it's farming some there's many different variations of it and many ways in which we're changing that language in our words and we're redefining what our words mean this at this time which is very exciting um but the the, the thing before us like to to kind of you had to be in this world and in that world all the time you had to go back and forth between the two uh because like i was saying with with you know with some with with some of these folks I just brought to this conference, I brought you know I brought them in. We had this experience of profound listening, and you bet that I made sure that they had contacts with you know by the time that they left, like the foundation had committed to as they said not forgetting um, Indigenous people in the future. That they were going to make this a priority for their foundation um, in terms of both their uh, their and and not just in terms of their giving though also in terms of their giving but also in terms of how like they themselves going through some sort of process of thinking and learning how to do this right as they said um which of course is a huge question because we're still figuring out what it means to do this right and and i also made sure that everyone people got connected to like, here's someone, here's some ways we can help you think about a better business plan. Here's some ways we can help you think about your entrepreneurship. Here's some ways we can help you deal. We can, like, work with you to engage differently with the economic realities that are on the reservation. Like, we're not, we are not just going to talk about Indigenous wisdom in this, like, rah-rah way. And, and I'm, I'm using that as an example and there's a gazillion examples of ways in which it's easy in the spiritual space to disassociate ourselves from the material reality and to do what's called a spiritual bypass. And that is um, unhelpful, that is unhelpful. And uh, not occasionally, it happens, we do it, but like, you know, to come back to this reality because this time and place needs us here and now, otherwise we won't be here.
2: We're
0: gonna take a break now. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind & Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind & Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind & Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind & Media at mindandmedia.com That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lena Welcome back to Designers of Paradise. We're speaking with Sarah Walcott, healer, minister, artist, and eco-theologian. When When our group uh, that I was working with, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago uh, in Ireland, uh, first started uh, producing um, conferences and workshops, uh, writing and you know, doing different pieces of communication and gathering around the topic of climate change. Um, I remember at that time the, the, for me, the driving question wasn't technical. And most of these conversations were technical. You know, they, they were either having to do with, uh, you know, threshold, temperature thresholds or carbon storage or alternative energy and that sort of thing. And I kept saying, no, 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 what's really, that's all really important, but those are details. And, and what is actually, I think, the more, pro- the more important question for us to address at this time is not what do we need to do to survive climate change? It's who do we need to become.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, I think it's a question that does not get enough space.
1: People don't know how to ask it.
0: Yeah, I mean, possibly so. And also we get flipped into our, our sort of like, you know, a fight or flight mode because of, of um, you know, the intensity of the topic.
1: Yeah, uh, this, there's so much in this, there's so much in this like doing, being conversation that's just so, uh, it's such a huge conversation. <laughs> um, it Because it's something that I see people like really kind of struggling with actually a lot right now um, because the way that we have created doing in our society is not particularly helpful. <laughs> it's, and we we tend to, we don't, We don't spend enough time, I mean, so I really, I struggle with a lot of my friends and I'm sure, and a lot of your friends, you know, are very involved with language around like um, this is a climate emergency, right? And we are at the edge of extinction and all all this urgency. And we're trying, we're doing that because people are using that narrative because the, the situation before us right now we have like five years like right people say 10 years but really like i think five might be closer
2: i think so i think (laughs) so. yeah
1: right we got five years so like this and we see and you know i'm in texas right like surrounded by oil and gas money surrounded by like this like yeah and i want to come back to the oil and gas money part of it but like the it's You know, you look here. I look around me, and I just see you can't go anywhere without a car. You can't. um, People can't survive without oil right now and gas. I don't know how. Like it's like physically, structurally difficult to 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 make to like have a life if you don't without it. I mean, of course, people are. There's tons of examples. There's tons of communities. People are. doing exciting work without it but the extent to which our society as a whole is so deeply and then like you know everywhere there's construction everywhere it just looks like we're continuing business as usual you walk down the street it's like wow there's another building going up using concrete (laughs) with like (laughs) and all those same physical systems are being put into place in real estate development across the country and yes there's You know, we all hope. You know, both of us know so many, so many counterexamples as well. But sometimes it can feel unbelievably um, overwhelming—an amount that needs to change in a very short time. And and I do absolutely think it's possible. Um, I have tremendous belief that it's possible. Uh, And and so we get into the doing thing really fast and so we get that but that sense of urgency the problem with the urgency conversation and this is something that's not talked about very much it might even be taboo right now to talk about this but the problem with the urgency is it doesn't provide for the listening and that so often in order to go fast you have to slow down and it's like the because people it's like oh my god it's an emergency what do you do in emergency you call the cops you call the fire department you call the authority and it kind of Enab- uh, when, the, when a state has an emergency state called you're calling um, like you know state of emergency means the military can take over like legally that's what that means and it enables the government to enact a level of authoritarian crackdown um, and I've seen this happen I was in Quito in Ecuador when um, when they called a state of emergency because of the protests around the, the gas hike uh, this past fall and I saw the whole country kind of, uh, massive, massive civil protests li- leading the entire country to grind to a standstill. it was amazing what could happen when the people decided they just didn't want to participate in the system anymore, everything shut down. Like this, um, but the government's response was to call a state of emergency. So it's like, and to simply say, oh, we're going to call people's emergency is also kind of like, what does that mean? Um, but like, what I'm trying to get to is it's in, in states of, it's very easy when people feel really a sense strong sense of urgency that they just do what they've always done and they do it faster and they, and they put more money into solutions that aren't actually regenerative. Um, and they put, and I'm just actually gonna continue to perpetuate an exploitive economic system. Instead of saying, who do we need to be that's different? Who do we need to become? Who is, what is in our becoming? What is a spirit leading us to do in this moment? what is our deepest knowing of who we need to be and of who we are and how can we sit together and how can we walk together and how can we sing and pray together in a way that can enable that way of being to come to the fore.
2: That's it. (laughs) In a very
0: very large nutshell. Um. (laughs) go to go to um what you were going to say about being surrounded by oil and gas
1: yeah so and
0: and and then i i'd also like you to touch on the decolonization topic
1: okay um (laughs) both very interesting let's do them both at the same time (laughs) okay let's try um so i i was i do a lot of i i talk about remembering a lot um, you were you were talking about remembering early on in this conversation. So remembering is I say remembering, re-enchanting, and anticipating are kind of the three things, which is to say I work in the past, the present, and the future. So remembering where we who we are and where we come from, I find that there's two parts of remembering. As I so remember let's like, like, think about the word remembering. It's a physical somatic experience. This is not the same as renarrating. Which tends to be a word-based experience, um, a language-based experience. Remembering is actually a somatic experience. The body is coming back together again. This is you can this is where the imminent part of my theology is like very apparent. And so the whole, so the 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 task before us, a healing task before us, is that we must come back together again. That which has been dismembered needs to become remembered in the cultural, spiritual, and physical experience of our reality, so that our, we know our reality differently. That is, that is the ultimate, a, there's a deep remembering. Now that, to do that, there's two things that are necessary. One, it has, or there's two parts of that. So one is like, what we might think of as like our connection to the whole, our connection to oneness. Um, I think of this as sort of the big, the, the kind of basic, every spiritual teaching from Christianity to, you know, every variation of, Catholic, of Christianity has something in it, some piece in it. Every religious tradition I've ever encountered has some beautiful dynamic in it that helps us remember. And it might be communion, right? Jesus says, eat this bread, drink this wine. This, is, this, is, this bread is my body. Right? That is a physical statement. This wine is my blood. This is an imminent theology. Do this in remembrance of me, communion in the Christian tradition is an act of remembering our connection to earth to food to water to wine, our, our human capacity to turn water into wine and of the di- divine love jesus' love for all, all people. Do this in remembrance of me in Islam. you have the prayers five times a day you know you and God's Allah says, "Do this because you, humans, are are forgetful people. You have to remember Me five times a day. You have to pray five times a day to remember who you are. To remember how much I love you. Right? Like the, the that beautiful call to prayer in Islam that co- that that calls out from the mosques. And when you're in an Islamic country, you can just hear those calls of prayers echoing throughout the whole city and echoing throughout the countryside. And it's this very, very beautiful thing. Occasionally when I was living in Indonesia, I occasionally found it annoying, but mostly beautiful. And and then when I, like, and in, an, in so many indigenous practices, it's about, it's about, you know, you coming back to creator, coming back to spirit. Every food, you, every water is, you know, water is life. Like it's all, it's all this process of remembering your connection to spirit. Um, and... And I see a lot of the rec- reclaiming of stories that, that have been forgotten, you know, ancient stories that have been, uh, particularly indigenous stories and stories about creation, and how those stories tell are actually related to science and all the indigenous science conversations and religion science, spirituality, science conversations. It's like these ancient truths being backed by science. All of that, all of that beautiful stuff is all remem- is all this sort of what I think it was level one remembering. And then there's what I th- like the second part of remembering. And, and so, and part of that is also, you know, sorry, I'm going to go back to the first part of remembering because you have to include like our understanding of the universe. And, and this is where I can kind of get to oil as well. So we can actually imagine um, some of my geology friends here in Texas helped me remember something about oil that I had totally forgotten. The extent to which, you know, oil is just compressed matter and that what's so amazing about our planet is that everything gets buried it's this amazing amazing phenomena where we just get buried and buried every, every geological era is buried and um, in the it, if you go along enough eventually everything becomes <laughs> the possibility of becoming oil is like there for each, each major geological epic and then oil flows because like all that condensed matter is condensed and all that peats and dinosaurs and marshes and soil and um, plants are condensed into this liquid and the liquid flows and which I also I think to be just so miraculous that that can happen at all and the liquid flows and it pools and then it eventually over time, because not only does our planet bury everything, but everything also erupts and everything also comes to the surface again in part because of plate tectonics. And so things go up again. And, um, and so we, there used to be here in Texas, oil springs and entire ecosystems were formed around oil springs. And it's such, it's kind of like a miracle for me, as someone who's been a you know anti-oil all my life, to remember like, oh, <laughs> like oil springs from like they used like isn't necessarily <laughs> oil spills used to be kind of like coming out of the ground as springs and it was kind of a great thing and whole ecosystems developed around it, and then humans be- exploited it, particularly white men exploited it. So, like oil is part of the beauty of our world, right, it is part of this incredible beauty of the miracle of our world. So even remembering and re-enchanting what oil is and where it comes from what it, as, a, as, a, as a substance, what it is. So all that's a positive, kind of easy, beautiful part of remembering. And I think that's the most important part. The second part of remembering is remembering the dismembering. How did we come to this mess that we are in? The deep theological way of describing this, and and this is a Christian theological terminology I'm using right now, is theodicy. And theodicy means the study of why is there evil in the world? So in the Christian framework, which is where this term comes from, if God sent his son to save the world, then why is it that the world is still messed up? And why is it that there's still violence? Why do children, babies still die? Why is there still genocide? Like, why hasn't the promised kingdom of all of us still come? This is this is a question that the Christian theologians have been asking pretty much, like, like since the uh, since Christians or since in that in that case back then they were Jews, since there was people who who were claiming that the the, the Christ had come and the resurrection was real and um, the savior promised by in, by by the prophets had arrived. If the savior had arrived why is the world still messed up that's the basic theodicy question and the way that this is manifesting today of course is um all these questions of like where where does this climate change where does this anthropocene come from why are we having the problems that we're having and on one level, it's a very, very deep human question. Why is there violence and exploitation? Why do we exploit one another? That's an ancient, ancient question that we've been asking. Why do we put people into cages? Why do we put people into slavery? Why do we put, have a de- domination system at all, ever, in human society when we are children of the divine? And when we are such beautiful creatures, why, can we, why are we so terrible <laughs> to each other, right? Like, this is, it's a deep, deep human question. And you had, you had to ask both parts of the, it's like, where have we become dismembered? And so, you know, some variations of the Christian story, that's the fall. That's the fall from paradise. That's saying we lost, we are sinful. Humans are sinful. We, by sin in the Hebrew is we miss the mark. We don't, we aim for the good, to do the right thing, to do the good thing. And we do not do the right thing. We miss the mark. We do the, we do something that's Causes damage and violence and pain to other people. So these are these these are big questions, right? These are these are the questions that every culture asks, and every cu- has some variation of asking these questions. And so then in our time, it's like I trace this, I trace the question: Why are we? Ha- why why does cl- why does climate change exist? Why is why are we in the Anthropocene age? I retrace that the that to the beginning of colonization. To saying that this is a result of the doctrine and Discovery and the great European witch hunts um, that happened uh, in the 1400s. It's a 50 year time period where you get the beginning of slavery, the great European witch hunts. So, the beginning of slavery, you know, the, the, the exploitation of Africa by the Europeans begins with the Portuguese in like roughly 1452. The, the great European witch hunts are in 1484. Um, and the papal bull that leads to like when Columbus comes back from the quote unquote new world, Turtle Island, is 1493. So you have these three papal bulls issued by the church and all of these within a 50 year time period and prior to the Industrial Revolution, obviously. And this leads to a, a um, uh, an institutionalized variation of uh, of empire and of exploitation and a theological system that supports exploitation and domination. So to remember where to remember that there was actually a process through which the current eco, social ecological problems of our era arose, there was a very particular time period. It was not there was, a, there was a particular names, particular people, particular things that were done, particular institutions that were created. There was a way in which knowledge shifted from being local knowledge to being knowledge of expertise. Um, there's ways in which, and it was a very violent period and it happened in Africa, it happened in Europe and it happened in the Americas. And so this is a lot of what I teach on, a lot of what I write on, the online courses I do is to help people remember that history. And you can, and then that to remember that history is to integrate a, the, a, a religious and theological understanding with, of history with like, this is what happened. This is what happened and this is why we are where we are. And the trends are older than that obviously you can go back to beginning a patriarchy you can go back there's lots of people who have much earlier origin stories for climate change and for uh, the anthropocene age and i think you can have multiple origin stories you do not have to have single origin stories but that's a very useful origin point because it helps us connect our our issues around racial, and ecological injustice today into a historical context and around gender and sexuality and sensuality and the extent, and even, and so the disenchantment of the world is a phrase that Max Weber used. The disenchantment of the world is um, the world becoming uh, like objects and losing the an- trees no longer being beings. It's, a, it's, not, it's not even transcendent or imminent, it's just a mechanical, it's just everything becomes and that, but that, that is, begins, you see that beginning in the colonization then it, it becomes much sort of like uh, more, becomes more clearly articulated in the enlightenment period. But beginning the story with colonization is significantly more accurate and enables us to weave the threads, read the, the historical narratives more broadly together. And you cannot appropriately look at this history. You cannot do this process of saying, oh, this is where we became dismembered from each other. This is where people were separated from place. This is where at a violent level, at a large scale level, not that has never happened before, but a large scale level, this is where we lost our connection with the earth. It happened here, 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 and here. And you can draw it out. You can see it, and then you can trace your own family. You say, oh, this is where we lost our connection. And, and for different people, it's in different places because of course, like it took a while for these things to spread to create the modern world that we have today. You cannot look at that history without also having a deeply spiritual dynamic to, to what you're doing. You have to look at that history with a lot of compassion toward your ancestors, no matter who they were. And no matter what they went through, all of us have ancestors who were victims and all of us have ancestors who were perpetuators so far as I can tell. And, and to look at our ancestors and this, I'm saying a lot here, but yeah, just to look at our ancestors in this way is, is, is to engage in a deeply spiritual process because you cannot look at history without recognizing that you're looking at someone's ancestors. It's not an abstract thing. It's not something you read in a book is something that you feel in your body and you can experience in your soul and you can touch with your hands and everywhere you see it around you. Once you know how to see the world this way, you start seeing the past in the present. And once you start to see the past and the present, your capacity to see the potential different futures in the present
2: significantly increases.
0: That is... I'm almost. I, I mean, you, you, you have such good words.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've been. It's like, I've been also having, like teaching on this material for like a couple of years.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you, have, you have. You have such a gift for story. It's 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 lush, you know, and um, and powerful. And I'm, I'm deeply, deeply appreciative. Um, we're about out of time, though. How should we leave this, and, and 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 would you be open to a follow up uh, conversation? Because I think I feel like there's so, there's so much, so much, so many things we haven't had a chance to. Overcome.
1: Oh, so I I feel, um Eric. I always feel like we we could just we could just like talk for hours. <laughs> we should probably like run a workshop together and see who wants to show up. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun, because <laughs> um, I feel like uh, I feel like you have so many stories in everything that I'm saying as well. That um, from your experience and from everything that you've been doing with your with your with your different communities, which I think really um, I would I think be wonderful for your listeners to, <laughs> to to listen to some of your stories as well. So when I was um, a child, I lived in California the historical homeland of the Ohlone people. And the house that I lived in bordered, a little house, kind of suburban neighborhood that bordered is open space. And my parents fought to save the open space from development. They were pretty hardcore environmental activists in their own right. And I, there was a time when I was like five or so and I slipped out of the gate in the back and I ran up to the hill behind the house, overlooking our garden and the blackberry bushes. And there was a, it was dusk and I laid on the ground and it was a warm summer's evening. And the dirt was dry in California. We have these very dry summers, dry beneath my hands. And somehow it just is dark, dark soil. And it was beautiful, it, was, it felt so good to lay on the ground. And above me, the moon, the moon was hot above me. And there was an owl that passed
2: by the way owls do quietly, huge, dark shadows. And I felt so held in that
1: time between day and night between the wilds of our imagination and the reality of the earth on the ground, between the house, which was not always a healthy home. Things did not always go the way I wish they had gone. My parents were not always able to be the parents I wanted them to be or that they wanted to
2: be. And sometimes it was very painful. And the bigness of the city and the glittering lights beyond the
1: hills. But in that moment, I felt this deep cosmic, I could now call it a cosmic love. I just, at that, I didn't use the word cosmic. It just felt like love. That was somewhere between the stars and the moon and the earth and me. And my experience of that love was so feminine. It was like this, I didn't actually experience it as a mother energy. I just, but I think most people do. (laughs) I just experience it as feminine. I do think God is gender neutral. I don't think God is either. I like gender fluid notions of God. Maybe God is trans. But um, for me that experience was feminine and and I devoted myself. I said, I will, I just want, I just felt this question that was a wordless question. And my
2: answer was yes. Like I just want to serve you, and i it was such a it was such a sense of devotion of dedication, love,
1: and I believe that I have met many, many people who've had moments like that. Maybe it was a clear sense of dedication, maybe it was a, just a passing moment of being held. Maybe it was the rain, knowing that they weren't saving the planet, the planet was saving them. Maybe maybe it was just that moment in meditation when you know you are part of everything
2: and that nothing matters. Or maybe it's all nothing, or and we don't know if we're gonna make it. We don't know. We don't know if
1: we're gonna make it. And on some level, what matters much more than whether or not humans make it through the next to this impasse, to this question of whether or not we can both remember and re-enchant ourselves at the same time.
2: (sighs) What matters so much more is, you know, how loving can we be? You know, like how, how much can we be who we
1: want to be, who we are called to be, who we are asked to be? And of course, to be loving is to be just, Right? It's not, not love as in spiritual bypassing. And can we dwell in love? And can we give and, and also can we receive? Can we receive the love that's being given to us every day? And can we help the earth receive? And can we ourselves be part of that cycle of regeneration? And one of my, one of my teachers in this path has become, I have many teachers, when has become with Clarissa Pinkola Estes in her book, *Women Who Run With the Wolves. And I think she's actually significantly better with words than I am. And she describes this, the, what I experienced. She describes the, the, it as a wild woman. It's a force, she says, I'm reading from her book. This force engenders every important facet. Here on earth, she has named many names, not only in order to peer into the myriad aspects of her nature, but also to hold her. Because in the beginning of retrieving our relationship with her, she can turn to smoke in an instant. By naming her, we create for her a territory of thought and feeling within us. Then she will come, and I call her, she says, Rio abajo, Rio, the river beneath the river.
2: And I just wanna invite all the listeners out there to find the river beneath the river. I invite
1: you to let that river flow through all of your work. If you're working in policy, if you're working in economics, if you're working in livelihoods, if you did not get that grant you wanted to get, if the person did not do what they said they were gonna do, they have not returned your phone call all of those infuriating moments, the man you married is not the man you wanted him to be. Like, you are not receiving alimony. Whatever it is, I invite you into the wild of the river beneath the river and the deep creative
2: resources that you have and that we have together. Thank you.
0: And I kind of feel like I need to thank the turkey.
1: <laughs> turkey. Ah, ah, ah. Gobble, gobble. <laughs>
0: for, 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 for reminding us of the, like the, you know, the other life forms. That's right. Um, just there. Okay, Sarah, um, we're going to have to leave it at that. And um, again, a million times, thanks so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Eric. It's always, you give so many gifts to this world in cultivating these conversations.
0: We'll be in contact and, and enjoy the rest of your time in Texas.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next
2: week.